Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy. Speak and Destroy is the podcast featuring interviews about Metallica. And I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Butterside vocalist Patrick Allen Stone. When Patrick crossed paths with Lemmy, his entire life changed. The Motorhead frontman and his bandmates all made regular appearances at his home. When Velvet Revolver was searching for someone to replace Scott Weiland, Lemmy recommended Patrick to Slash, which led to a phone call from Matt Sorum and several demos. Lemmy personally signed Butterside to Motorhead Music, and his son, Paul, produced their debut album. Phil Campbell guests on the band's second album, Spiritual Violence, released in March 2021. Patrick and I talk about his relationship with Lemmy, his upbringing, jamming with Slash and Steven Adler, and of course, Metallica. You can support Speak and Destroy on Patreon and get access to exclusive bonus episodes called from my interview archives over the years with guests like Glenn Danzig and Kirk Hammett. You can follow Speak and Destroy on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. And remember... Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network, so check out our other podcasts. So here it is, my conversation with Patrick Allen Stone of Butterside. This is Speak and Destroy. Tell me a bit about your earliest musical memories and at what point you knew, okay, this isn't just something that I love. This is something I need to participate in. I need to, I need to make this Hell yeah. part of it. Yeah. I, it, it was really early on f- for myself. Um, I had a, uh, my, my uh, sister, uh, rest in peace. She was um, just this huge influence. She was just full of energy and had this really rebellious attitude that I, somehow thought was just the most amazing presence in my life. So I would follow her around and just try to copy her and do everything she did. You know, she was, a she, uh, she was amazing, but she had this record collection. And, uh, I think before I was into toys or anything else, I was just going through her record collection and I really gravitated towards, uh, you know, rock and roll. I mean, the, uh, the first album cover I ever remember really being, um, drawn to was, uh, highway to hell, just something about Angus holding his tail and having those mm-hmm. horns, like the whole, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't understand yet that it was evil or if it was good or whatever it meant or what it was symbolizing. All I know is I thought it was just so damn cool. And, uh, you know, her listening to loud music and she would cut my hair to look like rock stars and everything like that. So I think I was only five years old when I was tugging at my pant, my dad's, my father's uh, pant leg. And, you know, he was, asking me what I wanted to do. And I said, I want to be a rock star like those guys, you know? Wow. Yeah. That young. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And rest in peace to your sister. And and yeah, thank God for those. Uh, you know, I, I had an older brother who was also very pivotal and turning me on to different stuff uh, when I was very young as far as music. So um, that's, you know, that's such a gift to be able to have yeah. that. Yeah, you wake up to it, you know what I mean? The loud music's coming out of their bedroom. You go in there, the older kids are hanging out, they're smoking cigarettes, they're getting tattoos, they're doing all these things, and you just like, oh, okay, so that's what it's all about. And then you go out and you see other kids that aren't doing that, and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Mom, I'm going to show you something, you know what I mean? I'm going to show you what's yeah. cool, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Turning, turning other people on to music that they haven't heard yet, I think, is like one of the coolest things in life, you know? It really is, man. It really is. And having... And having uh you know, the fact that I have people in my life that we've been doing that with each other for decades, you know, it's, it's always fun that that keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool that there's a lot of new music coming out now too. That's, that's leaning a lot more towards guitars and, you know, real musicians and stuff like that. So I love that there's, there's, 
you know, there's a, there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? We've had some dark years in rock and roll and, and metal and everything else. And it seemed like there were a lot of people, a lot of naysayers. And now it's just like the, the world is just completely uh, saturated with new rock and roll and guys playing guitar and heroes to look up to and rebels, you know, it's great. Yeah, amazing. So tell me about your evolution, how that, you know, turned into, being a musician yourself at one point you were you knew that you were going to be serious about it uh going back to my sister she gave me my first guitar which was way too big for my hands to stretch but (laughs) uh that was probably again a blessing um but uh you know i just picked that thing up and like you know it was kind of all the kids in the neighborhood wanted to play you know what i mean it was like you know they're it was cool to be like into the who and into the rock and roll bands and stuff like that. So like a lot of kids just wanted to do it because it was cool. Um, and, and then my sister gave me this guitar and, uh, you know, I just found myself fascinated with it. And I, I saw all the other kids trying to pick up an instrument and failing miserably. And I just kept kind of, you know, plucking away. And before I knew it, I could play, a you know, I don't know what it was. It was like, a Johnny, not not Johnny, be good, but it was uh, like Wipeout or something. You know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. stupid song that, like, not stupid song. God, but there's great songs, but um, but like some easier riff that, like, I finally was starting to understand. Um, and then just kind of going to it, and then finding out that, like, I kind of felt like I had a connection where other kids didn't. And then, uh, you know, trying to form bands, and just early on, my brother played drums, and later, later, kind of moved away more towards sports but I, I found myself just really loving music and I loved the way that like I got the reaction out of people at school just the whole you know the whole thing about music was just this uh it felt like you had to be like a chosen one like you were special you know what I mean like the mm-hmm. same way that like maybe the quarterback in the football team felt when he could throw the football well I just felt like I had this connection to music and I was just so fascinated with it that it just kept growing and growing. And, and uh, I think I ended up taking my brother's drum set because I, I ended up playing it a little better than he did. And he got mad and, you know, kind of gave it up. Um, but uh, it's funny. I got into like all different types of music. I mean, I loved like, uh, you know, Chicago and I loved Billy Joel and I loved, uh, you know, journey and any anything i would get in the car with my mother and uh she would play whatever was on the radio i would would learn the lyrics and sing to and she encouraged that so so that was cool but around the time i got into high school i was already growing my hair out (laughs) and uh that was the last time i think i cut my hair honestly i've had long hair ever since amazing but uh i remember i think it was like the first day of high school um you know, the guys, you know, they had the, uh, the, the chains on their, on their belts and they had, the uh, the Metallica patches and the Slayer patches yeah. on, the, on the back of their jeans jackets. And these fuckers lit me up. They put me up against the, uh, they lifted me up, up against the lockers and like, you know, started giving me a hard time. Um, and I didn't know if it was because of the t-shirts I was wearing or the bands I was listening to, but, um, but I was listening to like Metallica and I was, uh, I remember I had the, the ride, the lightning albums. I remember us. Uh, I mean, I think the, the first time I really got into Metallica just to, you know, start going down that path. Um, we would build these skateboard ramps and uh, I mean, huge ones up in the Los Gatos Hills. This is Northern California. And uh, one of the guys in our group would put in, you know, master of puppets to get us psyched up going up to the, the skateboard <laughs> ramps and yeah. it was like without that adrenaline from that music like we wouldn't have tried the tricks that we were attempting or built the ramps that were like 10 to 20 feet high literally like these huge ramps um you know professional skateboarders from all over the area we'd come we'd be coming up to the to the ramps and these guys would be on the on the on the ramps already skating them they'd broken into the property and we would run up there ready to tell them to get off and then you you see it's like tommy guerrero or tony hawk or whatever and and we would crank metallica all day and that would that's just what, what kept us going so i was i was already a fan and i didn't understand why these kids right like, like what's the difference yeah yeah you know what I mean? And like, I literally remember one coming up to me in, uh, in math class and he literally took my Walkman away from me. And I was, I was literally, I was listening to ride the lightning. And then he kind of gave me this look like he was confused. You know what I mean? He wanted to think that like he was, that he was cooler than I was, but like, 
you know, I wasn't listening to it to be cool. I just liked it. You know what I mean? I, I liked it. I, I know that, that Metallica was like coming to uh, like San Francisco, the, the Bay area and, and my brother and my friends, we would go up there and, and I was too young to get in. And, but we would still sit in line thinking we had some chance to get in to see them. And I remember we couldn't see them, but uh, it wasn't, I mean, it must've been a few weeks into uh, my freshman year that uh, this kid, Chris, was standing out there waiting for me uh, outside the, the school gates and uh, I guess I'd already had some reputation for being a singer I guess I'd told a few people that I was a singer but I wasn't quite sure that I was yet you know what I mean it, mm -hmm. it wasn't like my thing but this kid asked me if I wanted to uh, sing for his group they had a the high school band and uh, and they he was like yeah we play like Metallica and we play Ozzy and I was like fuck yeah I want to do that so uh, we like literally started rehearsing immediately and we were playing these high school parties like within the month and we were covering nothing but Ozzy and Metallica. And then I remember seeing those same kids at those parties and being like, yeah, bitch, <laughs> I'm singing this shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then we'd play, we'd play at lunch. Like, I don't think any of the teachers, or the principal had any idea what we were going to do, but like, you know, they walk out of their offices and we're out there playing, you know, songs from kill them all and, and uh, stuff like that. And, and recess and stuff like that. It just, it, it, it became my entire existence. Everything was all about, you know, the whole lifestyle, you know, and had plenty of heroes to look up to and follow. So that's basically where it started. Do you, that's amazing. And I love that story about the um, sometimes how there's outsiders amongst the outsiders, you know, because I think of yeah. like the thrash metal dudes as like, you know, bullied by jocks. And then here, here they are then bullying people who are into like the wrong kind of metal or whatever it was, you know? Right. There were so many different, uh, it's like we had what, 10 or 15, 20 different genres of metal within metal. Right. Yeah. Like you could be a, like the poser metal guys was what, what they were basically trying to put me into that box. Right. Um, you know what I mean? But, but our, our, and, and it's funny because now we're all lumped together. You know what I mean? If you, mm -hmm. uh, if, you, if you look at it now, it's like, you know, Poison and Metallica are on the same playlists all over the place. You know, while, while some of us will still fight to say that, you know, they're different. And they are. They definitely are by, in, in, in many ways. But, um, but it's funny. Those, those kids, those, those bullies end up like this one kid, Brian Domingo. Uh, he and I, that, that same guy that lifted me up against the lockers and like they threatened to beat my ass because I wasn't metal enough. Uh, that kid ended up like moving in with me because he had problems at home. And, you know, my father ended up giving him lunch money and he lived with me, I think for God, the later part of our freshman year, all the way through the sophomore year. Wow. And he became like an actual part of my family. Um, and, and then we grew to love, you know, all those bands together. You know, we just rocked out and banged our heads every time we went and got into the car, we'd crank it up, you know. <laughs> Wayne's World style. Totally Wayne's yeah. World style. We were those guys <laughs> for sure. So do you remember what it was at first that really grabbed you about Metallica, about that, you know, that stood out or, or made you want to keep, you know, skating to it or covering those songs? And uh like again going back i think master of puppets is where it really sunk in for me but then like i mean if i started listening to, to the garage days stuff and, and the uh uh i mean just everything but the first thing was just that power you know that chorus master that whole thing was just mm -hmm. like i mean yeah i mean standing up on top again of a 20 foot skateboard ramp that we built and and not having the balls to do it and then that song comes on and you're like fuck it you know what i mean it was that whole mentality the whole strength the whole it was just tight too like even slayer i love slayer i loved how heavy they were but it's like metallica had something i'm not going to say it's better because i now again like i love all of those groups equally um maybe metallica a little bit more it was just tighter you know what i mean and the vocals mm -hmm. were just his lyrics just just everything and then uh you know yeah but the, i mean the, the lyrics and then the whole uh i think that was really my you know the, the drug addiction element to master of puppets and its lyrics um the war element you know the, the harvester of sorrow and all of these songs just i really got in and really read the lyrics and uh i just thought it was really cool that they weren't singing about the same old shit 
you know, like, you know, girls and, and stuff like that. And I, I started to understand why these guys were standing up for something that meant more to them than these fluff pieces, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. to speak, you know, uh, guys that had to, uh, you know, they weren't trying, they weren't trying too hard. They, 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 they you know, they, they did have an image that was completely thought out without being thought out. It looked like they weren't trying you know to be somebody that they weren't they were just fucking hard they were sweaty they got up there they just kicked your ass it lifted you up you wanted to it just felt so powerful you know i mean you wanted to listen to it loud all day long you wanted to show all your friends on 10 you wanted or 11 you wanted to listen to it all day long so just the power behind it you know what i mean just Mm -hmm. the uh the whole movement of it you know what i mean during that time it was like it was still kind of fresh you know what i mean but like uh i don't know just just the power of it you know really i want to talk about uh you know of course i, I want to talk about lemmy before we get to the great legendary iconic lemmy uh, you've you know had an opportunity to work alongside uh, a handful of, of hard rock luminaries who are somewhere in that Metallica orbit, you know, that we would associate together. Um, you know, I, I know Slash and Duff and Matt Sorum. And of course you were the front man for Adler's Appetite for a time and mm-hmm. you know, the late Frankie Benali and Simon Wright. And, uh, you know, how did uh, some of those, you know, if you want to pick some of those out and, and tell me a little bit about how you encountered those folks and uh, what you ended up doing together and, and that sort of thing. Oh, the uh, the Frankie Benali thing. God, God rest his soul. Such a sweet, sweet guy. Yeah, they they um. I think he had called it quits, you know. And it was it was just random. It was uh, I was, you know, trying to make a name for myself here in Hollywood. Uh, I had a band called Aces and Eights, which actually led to a lot. I mean, I have that band to thank for for so many things. Um, my boy Tad Taz Rudd, uh, the founder of that group. Um, he uh, was just a phenomenal guitar player, but he ran with Axel and, and Izzy mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, um, I, I considered myself a musician and a songwriter for, you know, my entire life, ever since like I was in those bands back in high school, like I told you about, I mean, I was writing songs, even I mean, my sister gave me that guitar and I was off and running. I, I think I wrote my first song shortly after. I and mean, I was like nine, 10, I started writing songs no matter how silly they were i mean i still have the lyrics sitting around somewhere but um um getting a little off base here but um no this is what we yeah, do I was, I was i was i was yeah i was trying to make a name for myself and i guess i'd, I'd made enough of one that, like i got enough of a reputation and I, i'd already gotten uh yeah that was my point was that i was i was i'd considered myself a songwriter and a musician but like i basically was you know i was addicted to drugs for a long long time and uh i completely um you know, pulled myself away from the real world and just did that and, and was writing songs and really gaining a, a, a vast spiritual education um, <laughs> through, <laughs> through drugs and alcohol and whatever else. And, and definitely um, music got me through all of that, but I made the turn to become sober and uh, that led to like really paying attention to some career moves. And, and uh, this guy Taz walked into a strip club I was bartending at <laughs> and uh he was with a friend of mine um, and uh, uh, yeah, he just asked me to come start jamming with him. So this band aces and eights led one thing led to another. And we started playing out a lot in Hollywood and uh, gaining some momentum and, you know, getting a lot of people at our shows and a following and all that. Um, and uh, around that time, there was just this girl uh, that I knew and she somehow knew Frankie and, and I, the conversation came up about singers and, uh, you know, Frankie was finally thinking about, um, you know, redoing Quiet Riot uh, w- without uh, Kevin. So um, she reached out and she said she asked if, if it was OK that, that uh, you know, he gets my number. And, and I was floored, you know, I was actually I was out. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was I was actually I mean, that that started this. Uh, <laughs> it's funny because the, the whole thing on my part was to, to be completely honest. It was nothing short of a failure uh, as far not. But I'll say failure and I, I'll quote Yoda on this one that failure is our greatest teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, so Frankie came to an Aces and H show. And uh, literally, he was at the key club and uh, in the middle of our set, I knew he was going to be there. 
And in the middle of it, he, he, he came up like literally I'm on stage with my bandmates and he was like, yeah, it's you, you're the guy. And, uh, you know, he gave me like a, you know, we kind of we grab hands, not, not really a handshake, but like a brother shake, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I knew that like, he was gonna, you know, I knew, I knew something was going to happen. So he ends up coming up to my, over to my apartment and he lays all of these songs on me and I'm just like trying to play it cool. You know, this was like really my first opportunity to be at like a really larger than life band, you know, work with some people that really had a, had some fame and success. Um, and I started uh, trying to sing those songs. <laughs> Lo and behold, man, those songs are fucking insane to sing. <laughs> and, and like, yeah. I'm literally thinking okay i've got to try really hard i had zero um professional music uh you know like technique uh uh education like i'd never taken a lesson i just was like the you know shoot from the hip kind of a guy sing like sing and have feel and that was more important than notes and everything up until that point and that that had gotten me by so i literally got in the in the rehearsal room with these guys and i think we went at it for about two months and slowly but surely, I was getting a little bit better at memorizing the songs and 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 a little bit more confident. But <laughs> at the same time, I was losing my voice um, because it was so hard to like. I thought you just push, you know, you just push as hard as you can, and you're going to hit those notes, and that's that's mm-hmm. not the case. You know, guys like that go through extensive training. You know what I mean? They really know exactly what they're doing with their with their vocals. You know, to keep them from from frying out. So. So about two months into it, uh, or actually about a month into it, I started taking professional le- lessons to try to salvage this, uh, these auditions and these rehearsals that were, you know, I already knew they were, they were starting to go south. But um, so I took on a whole new musical technique, uh, a whole new singing technique in the middle of it. And I started seeing this guy, Ron Anderson, who's like a professional yeah. to all of the stars. He's I was going to say, I've, I've heard his name. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, he's the guru. And I I got, you know, again, like I said, it was like, uh, just things started happening along with sobriety, just one one thing after the the next, the other just just started happening, which kind of, um, uh, you know, reassured me that I was still on the right path, you know, like that this was something that I really could do while I still was running into this wallet with Quiet Riot, that it was something this wasn't going to work out, you know what I mean? So they literally had to do uh, about two months into it, they lived, they finally had to shut it down and they went with another guy. Um, and then they went with another guy and another guy and another guy. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, but this was like, this was, this started a huge spark under my ass that like, oh my God, I was so close to having, you know, a professional gig mm-hmm. and I was still with aces and eights and uh, it was kind of disrespectful to, to them. And, uh, you know, I, I, the way I was going on about like still seeking, like, you know, I, I, I felt it was like, I don't know. I was kind of like an opportunist in a way. And I feel bad about that still, but, um, but uh, uh, um, they understood, you know what I mean? And those guys, Taz included, they, they, they supported me. They introduced me to, to Slash when they were looking for, uh, you know, a, a, a new singer. And then, uh, you know, um, I had been Lemmy's roadie back when I was high, you know, and uh, Lemmy always pushed me to be a singer and a songwriter because he liked that about me. He loved the songs that I was writing even back then. But uh, about the same time that 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 whole thing with Velvet Revolver popped up and Scott had left, um, I had quite a few different ins through this group Aces and Eights I was with. And uh, Lemmy made the call to Slash to give me a call. And I get a call one day from Matt and Matt Sorum says, you know, Lemmy has spoken to us and he thinks that you're the next singer for our group. So let's record yeah. some stuff. And and, 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 uh, and that was, um, you know, to kind of to reverse engineer the timeline on that a little bit. I actually I don't know if I mentioned this to you when we spoke before, but I actually was at the very first ever Velvet show um, at the El Rey. Uh, when I worked at MTV and I was there uh, covering the show and I actually interviewed the band beforehand, they did like a press conference and then they did a separate interview with us. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was killer. They, they played set me free and slither. Um, Ang Lee who directed the Hulk was there and set me free ended up was on the Hulk soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. And they did negative creep. Um, bodies by the sex pistols and uh you know it's so Uh, easy and sex type thing so it's a short set with only you know two velvet songs but you know the nirvana cover the pistols cover everything was amazing and then of course uh i know there was that whole uh 
period leading up to them getting Scott where there were different names that you would hear around. And then after Scott was out, there were different names that you would hear around and your, you getting that phone call was really then right towards, of course, there was no way to know this at the time, but that ended up being like really the end of the era of that band. Right. Where oh, they, had, sure. they had been kind of, you know, rumors yeah. were going around about who they were going to get and this and that. And then, you know, they just yeah. never came back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going back to just how like all of this stuff with the, I mean, I was such a huge fan of all of these groups. I mean, still going back to those high school days and those bullies and all that stuff. Like um, I did start to veer definitely more toward a path of like, I mean, when Guns N' Roses came out and all of that stuff, it was just like, that took over my life. And like, I looked enough like Axl Rose and like, I couldn't put a hat on backwards without the entire high school, like, you know, calling me <laughs> Axel and like yeah. doing everything short of throwing tomatoes at me. I mean, I literally like, couldn't do anything. Like I wanted to wear the t-shirts cause I loved the group and I, I, I was a fan. I couldn't help it. I was listening to the music, but like Guns N' Roses made this just a huge impact on me. I mean, I was the kid that was just bouncing up and down on his bed, listening to Paradise City for the first time, just like completely like enlightened. You know what I mean? My whole world came to this focal. This is, this, I mean, like, like I was like, it's like I was on the tip of a rocket ship, you know what I mean? That just yeah. took off. And like, I mean, I don't know if I knew it, but like, I, I just felt like I had a bigger connection to the whole thing. I had no idea how my life was going to unfold and how these supernatural occurrences were going to take place. Like it's beyond my wildest dreams. It still seems like a lie and something I made up when I look back and then I see the pictures and I go, oh, yeah, that fucking really happened, you know? But um, you know, the whole thing with the, like I said, I was doing a lot of drugs. I was in a drug den for, <laughs> for over, I mean, God, for years and years and years, but I was so close to it still at that point. Like I was hanging out with all the strippers that fucked all the guys in Guns N' Roses. And like, I was fucking those chicks. And that made me feel like, well, if I can fuck these chicks, then I can fucking be on stage like those guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And it's funny because cause those girls actually loved me enough that the first time that when Guns N' Roses had broken up, they literally gave, uh, you know, they were looking for somebody and they were calling it the project back then. Right. And I was, right. And I was so fucking high, dude. I was slamming dope every day. I had a, a whole house full of, you know, music equipment and Silver Lake. I was slinging drugs to, you know, to everybody in the industry. Like, I mean, I was kind of, uh, infamous you know what i mean um guys from rock bands like you know the scorpions and motorhead would come over to my house and they would hang out for days and literally i wouldn't sleep for days and we'd write music and whatever and and hang out but like lo and behold my my friend gabby like literally says dude you should sing for fucking guns and roses and i was like yeah yeah i should you know so she she calls slash and she actually gets him on the phone and she puts me on, on the phone with slash. And I remember that phone call lasted all of maybe 40 seconds because I literally probably, probably I can't remember what I said, but I know I, I remember hearing his voice and him asking me a few questions. And like, I was just so strung out. I, I was going to say I, wherever he was in his recovery, he probably smelled you a mile away, you know, well, yeah, <laughs> it's like, Oh, yeah. this guy's loaded. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it was over so quick. And it was like, I, I knew I'd missed my opportunity. And yet, in the other room, I had these bootleg uh, copies of, uh, like, this one guy kind of like really had a shot at it. And mm -hmm. he came over to my place because I, I kind of had a like this, I had this recording equipment. And he came over like asking me to do him a favor and record him for this audition for those guys. Uh, my friend, Paulie Rockwell. Um, he, uh, he was recording this shit and the whole time I was like, fuck, I can rip this guy's asshole. You know, I can rip him a new asshole. So like he left and like, it was supposed to be so under wraps and he thought he was taking all the stuff home with him. And then I was sitting there at night working on the shit. You know what I mean? So yeah. like I get on the phone with slash and I thought I had this whole presentation ready to blow his mind. And then like, he just, you know, he hung up cause I was an addict. And then lo and behold, years and years later, I get this call you know what I mean? To record this stuff. And then I'm, I'm recording these songs and it's going well enough that I start submitting the songs to them. And then they ask for some more. And, and my friend, uh, Howard Tiemann was great friends with those guys too. So I met with Duff at, 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 uh, at Duff's tattoo shop. And I think I kind of scared him off even at that point because I was just so fucking excited. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get, I couldn't get that childhood kid out of me. You know what I mean? It just kept pouring out like i just seemed more like a uh freakish fan than a uh than than i don't know than like uh you know i don't know it just it something wasn't quite lining up right but um but yeah slash came out to this is actually a funny story um 
I, I was coming into, I came into town with a Guns N' Roses tattoo on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in this band Mondo Kane and we were playing at all the clubs and I was, I was still too young to even, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't have been allowed in the clubs, but we were, we were popular enough that like all the, all the door guys knew who I was. So I was getting on all these clubs. I was like 17, 18 years old. And uh, I remember walking into bar one and I peeled up my, uh, my uh, shirt sleeve because to show Axl Rose, who was at the end of the bar, my tattoo. And as I'm walking over there, he's surrounded by these supermodels. And uh, as I come over, I think that this guy's just going to love me. I can't believe it. I'm going to meet my hero. And I pull up my shirt sleeve and, and he laughs at me. And then all the girls that he's with start laughing at me. My tail, my tail just goes between my legs and I leave the club. And I think I was my, I was just so broken hearted. And I, to this day, I still have no idea, you know, why he laughed or, or, or whatever. But, um, uh, that day I get, I get this call from, uh, one of, yeah, it was, uh, so that some of them, I'd done the, I'd done the uh, recordings with Velvet Revolver and, uh, I was doing a show at the uh, Viper Room with my band Aces and Eights, and Slash was reported to have been interested enough that he was going to come out and jump up on stage with us. Crazy! And this, yeah. and this, this is already after the Quiet Riot thing had died off, and uh, and I jump up there uh, on stage and I'm playing, and sure as fuck, he's right there at one of the booths, and I'm like just ripping with adrenaline, and uh, I knew that he was going to come beforehand, so I literally went to that sit that tattoo shop. Howard Tiemann's tattoo shop that day and got my Guns N' Roses tattoo covered with a phoenix <laughs> so that he wouldn't laugh at me. <laughs> That's so then, amazing. Uh, yeah. So then, um, so then not only did Slash get up that night and, uh, and, and uh, we did like a, we did a, an Aerosmith cover and some Guns N' Roses songs, but as he's getting up to put on his guitar, Steven Adler snuck up and got on the drums and that was their first reunion uh, since they'd broken up and had this bad falling out. So it was like this huge thing. And like literally the Viper room was so freaking packed with people. Like, I mean, I'm, I, people had to be getting hurt. I remember one guy punched a guy just to get in and like the, the street had blocked off, you know, uh, traffic because there were so many people out the door. I mean, the place just went freaking off. I remember I, I must've lost 10 pounds that night, just like exerting so much energy. All my friends were there. It was like this huge, huge, crazy thing. It was an out of body experience to be up there playing with these heroes. And then, uh, and then lo and behold, I get a call. Like, I think it was, you know, sometime uh, while I was trying so hard with the velvet revolver thing, that whole thing fizzled out, like literally between everybody, you know, right in front of us, uh, slash went on to do this solo record with every rock star singer that ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course that turned into his wonderful thing with uh you know one of my huge heroes also uh, miles kennedy big yeah sweetheart love um, love miles i've gotten to uh spend some time with him uh, it's just a great guy and and yeah and what's funny is they had invited him to audition back when it was the project and he'd said no <laughs> interesting <laughs> i did is, not know that which is funny yeah way way back in the you know before the pre-wyland days because yeah wow. it gets it gets confusing that whole timeline because there were you know, all of those near misses and people that yeah. auditioned and people that they invited to audition who turned them down. Uh, and then the second time around, there were all the rumors about all the different people they might get. And then they did that one-off reunion with Wyland. And then Wyland yeah. was doing interviews saying they were back together. And then the band was like, no, we're not. <laughs> the whole House of Blues thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was there. I was there. Yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, dude, I was just so such a huge Wyland fan, man. When he when he was gone, uh, I I spent I, like I lit candles. I I cried. You know what I mean? It was fucked yeah. up. I love I love him rough, so much for sure. I loved him a lot too. He's just a huge, massive, massive talent and really a one of a kind. You know, a, a type of uh, pure rock star and all the best sort of esoteric esoteric senses of the phrase you know yeah there there aren't many of those left you know yeah no i mean i love the weird sort of otherness about them yeah i love the way that he i mean stone temple pilots too it's like there's just like i don't i don't even know how to explain you know when you pop when i pop in stone temple pilots it's just it's I don't know how to explain what happens to me. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like I'm taken to a summer day somewhere where the leaves are blown. Like, it's just like, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, 
I don't even know. Like I just said, I don't know how to explain it. It takes you to another realm, another uh, reality. You know, when I hear that stuff and velvet revolver too, like uh, I was so excited that, that, uh, that velvet revolver was what they were. And why some people say that they didn't climb to the, uh, you know, to the success level that guns and roses did. I felt like it was very important that that band existed and did what they did because uh, I mean, I loved every single song. You can't, I can't, I never get sick of that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I listen to it over and over and, I love, and I love over band again. a lot too. And I, and I loved, uh, you know, there's some pro shot videos on YouTube where Izzy got up on stage with them at some like festivals and stuff. And yeah, uh, yeah, it was just a very cool, very cool band and very cool moment in time. Um, yeah. Now going backwards a little bit, you know, it was actually Lemmy who told Slash, who told Matt Sorum that they should give you a try. Uh, so where did Lemmy enter into your life? Um, yeah, this is, we're, we're going to get a little gritty, you know. Um, I was, uh, I mean, I don't know how much I can, I, I want to divulge everything because it's, you know, I know, you, you know, Lemmy lived his lifestyle and he wasn't ashamed of it, you know what I mean? But uh, I, to put it simply, I, I started to date a girl that was, um, that was like best friends with the band. You know, mm-hmm. she was like the uh, quote unquote camera girl, you know, she, she went on, she was just, she was always with the group. She was like the sixth member. Um, I, my, I, I, I fell in love with her, you know, had nothing to do with the group. We fell in love with each other. We, we had a mutual bond over drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. We loved to just, you know, just fade away together. Um, but, uh, you know, she she brought me along to to meet Lemmy. Um, Lemmy kind of, you know, he was just uh, he, he he opened up to me because he loved her so much and she loved me. So it's like I was accepted in their inner circle immediately. You know what I mean? I saw a lot of people like I just I never had to go through the. I just, it was just, it just happened. You know what I mean? It was just like, all of a sudden I was at his house. I was at the rehearsals, you know what I mean? Um, and I was never, I was, I was just there. Uh, I think one day Lemmy leaned over, uh, you know, I was, I, I'm German. Um, I had, I was fascinated by his collection of uh, all of this uh, memorabilia he had from World War II, his Nazi mm-hmm. memorabilia. And uh, he had, gotten some bayonets and like i think they were still like they literally still had mud on them they were dirty wow um and uh you know i was with a few more of our friends that were a little shady you know what i mean and i remember you know lemmy giving me these artifacts because i i told him that you know i I would i took jewelry in school and i had uh you know some some tools at home that i you know just that i was like a a capable jeweler you know and so he hands me these bayonets and asked me if i could clean them up without you know damaging them or whatever so he trusted me with like these you know world war ii Mm -hmm. bayonets off of literally nazi soldiers guns and uh and I felt like, I don't know, it, to me, it was like this, this, it was this magical moment where this guy was, tr- this, this huge, you know, I remember seeing Headbangers Ball back when I was just a fucking baby, you know what I mean? And like seeing Lemmy on the screen and just being like, ah, like, oh, yeah. you know, giving <laughs> nightmares, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like, what is this? It wasn't a person. It was like this, ah, this, this huge presence you know his just so intimidating um but still so freaking awesome so i should forward you the thing i wrote on christmas eve actually that was about discovering motorhead for the first time which for me was on the tv show the young ones when mtv used to show the young ones you know late at night on saturdays or whatever yes yeah and there's motorhead playing ace of spades in the living room that was my first introduction yeah actually yeah i actually wrote a whole thing about it i should uh i should send that to you You'll yeah, I love it. that. It's it's funny. It's there's so much out there, man. You can never again. It's like <laughs> there's just so much to dive into always, and it's it's always uh, it, it's, he did so much with his life, touched so many people. But but yeah, getting in on that inner circle was just, just crazy to me. How he opened up and how much of a sweetheart he was. So yeah, he gave me these pieces of jewelry. You know, literally locked the doors because like people like I could. I mean, maybe I was paranoid or whatever, but I felt like everybody just wanted to ruin it. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like this test I was given. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I kept these pieces on me. 
you, you know what I mean? I literally wouldn't put them down. Cause like, I mean, I, I couldn't come home. I mean, I had this huge guitar collection, but I literally couldn't come. I couldn't go, go, go out for a couple of days and come back without a guitar being stolen or something missing. You know what I mean? And I just knew that like these things were going to disappear if I wasn't careful. So it was like, this was my chance to like show him that like, I gave a fuck, you know what I mean? Beyond whatever. Yeah. And so I shine these things up and I brought them back to him and I could just tell that like at that moment, he was just completely at ease with me. And I think that was the day that like, he literally had like an entire apartment full of guitar cases. And like, I, I, he opened every single one. We went through every single guitar. He just told me how special it was, why this one was, you know, why this one makes this sound. And this is what this guy played and some, you know, whoever, whatever gave him this guitar, you know, just like, just in awe of this guy and two or three days would pass, you know what I mean? Before we left the apartment, we'd play video games and, and, uh, you know, and even and e just just as much of a connection as as important of a connection that that was. Uh, Phil Campbell also became this you know super yeah. close friend of mine. I mean, I gravitated to him because he was just so crazy. I was just this perverted lunatic that would just do the most crazy shit. I'd get caught doing like the most crazy, sickest sexual stuff all the time. Like I was just <laughs> out of control. Like I was the guy that was just like, you know, I was a freak. You know, what I mean, all my friends just knew I was this freak. You know. And uh, <laughs> I found, I looked up to Phil because he was just so, you know what I mean? He would come out of the bedroom wearing women's lingerie and, uh, you know, holding like, you know, huge phallic pieces of sex toys and stuff. Like he was just, he didn't care who saw him doing what, you know what I mean? And I was yeah. like, yeah, fuck this guy's my homie, you know what I mean? So I just... Uh, we just would laugh and just have the best of time. So we, we really started spending a lot of time together and uh, he got a call one day that his roadie wasn't going to be able to come over from overseas, you know, uh, to do the tour. And uh, he literally hung up the phone and, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't finish the sentence. I don't have a roadie for the tour before I said, yes, you do. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that was it. We went to guitar center, we put together a kit and then uh, literally I think the next, week we went out you know everything louder than everything else happened and that's when i was tuning all their guitars and taking care of all that stuff so and and, and around that time you um phil was um playing on demos and stuff you were making right like there was music yeah. was in the mix yeah. yeah 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 no i was yeah i was uh yeah he there's we had this song demons that uh man everybody they, the opening line of that song was don't let anyone put you down and it was this ballad but like everybody that came over always would come back and if you patrick what's up and they'd sing the first line of that song to me so yeah he played on that um that never really saw the light of day he did some other stuff that i did at interscope when i had one of the, the guys that record that was uh, producing stuff over there took me in uh and then yeah paul ended up i mean uh Phil ended up recording uh, a song Scabra with us on the debut record that we recorded with uh, Lemmy's son, Paul. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we actually recorded the solo that he did on the newest release. We just released that song uh, this week. Um, pardon me off of the newest record. Uh, we salvaged the solo that Phil had actually intended to, he recorded with the, the song part of me was supposed to be on uh, our debut CD, but never got finished. And Paul, Lemmy died and Paul ended up leaving the country and we never finished that song. So there was this, there was this leftover, uh, these leftover tracks that, that Phil had done with us that we ended up uh, stripping that solo away. We used those tracks and completely built the song, re rebuilt the song, you know, from the ground up, we recorded it with Jay Baumgartner over there at NRG and uh, still used uh, the, the uh, solo that Phil did for us for that song. And <laughs> And now we just released that damn thing. So it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy how all that uh, works out. It'll, it happens for a reason, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I think I read somewhere that you, uh, through all of the connectivity and comings and goings with all the, lo the, all the Motorhead crew and, you know, band members and manager and, and all of that, um, you met uh, Phil Filthy Animal Taylor at some point too, right? He was around? Yeah, you know, Phil was always around. Um, 
uh, he, he would just, he was, he was the one that really just loved to come over and play, you know what I mean? So I would, I would grab a guitar or, or a bass and, and I had this electronic drum kit at my place and, and yeah, and Phil and I would just play for, for days and days and days and days on end. Oh yeah. Yeah. God rest his soul as well, man. Jeez. Indeed. Um, yeah. So going out on that everything louder tour, uh, what do you remember? You know, what are some of your fond memories of, of some of the hangs and the, uh, you know, the quiet moments that are <laughs> as quiet as they can get on a motorhead tour? Um, um, you know, aside, aside from the shows themselves and loading in and loading out and all that, like um, the it, other stuff. Yeah. It's, 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 it all happened so fast, but still so much of that was just, it was so intense that there, there's so mem- so many memories we created in such a, sh- such a short time. Um, you know, I remember just like, again, being, just being like introduced to those guys the way that I was, I didn't quite understand how intimidating of a group of people that they were and how, how, how chaos, how, how much chaos there was because inside of all of that was this, was this, I mean, you couldn't be more organized than those guys were, you know what I mean? It, you couldn't be more real either. Like they didn't put up with any bullshit, you know what I mean? You had a job mm-hmm. to do. And, and so there was a lot of stress on getting everything right. Um, so it was hard. It was like, you know, it was definitely hard work. And, uh, but, uh, the, you know, the, the most beautiful thing that I can remember, the most beautiful things was, you know, things like Lemmy taking me into the back of the bus. Um, and he, you know, the guy just didn't stop writing. You know, he was always back there in the back of the bus writing. He always had a pen and paper and, uh, he would, he would bring me back there and he would hand me lyrics, you know, um, I think he was writing stuff for like the black magic record, uh, at that time uh, and other things, but, um, he would share those lyrics with me and he would he literally would ask me like, what would I, you know, how would I finish this line? And I remember always just kind of being so in awe of everything I was reading and it just spoke so much truth to me and, you know, just, just being just so grateful for that, for those moments. Like I knew that that wasn't something that happened to everyone. You know what I mean? It was just, uh, I, it, it wasn't like a an Instagram moment where you pull out your phone and like, you know, it was just a moment where you, I just sat there in awe, you know what I mean? Just really super glad that like you, I could sit there with this guy and, uh, and share that. Like, I just felt that was very special. Um, the, all the laughs and, and the funny things that we did. I mean, like I, I found out what a dirty Sanchez was, you know? <laughs> <laughs> those kind of things are like, you know, sharing rooms with Phil and like, you know, <laughs> I mean, you can only imagine the things that were happening, you know what I mean? But um, it was, yeah, I think that's the most tender thing of all of it was, you know, just, just really, again, just being completely blown away day after day, how sweet these people were, how real they were, how that, you know, inside of this money-making machine and these places to go and the timeline to stick to that, like, there's just a lot of love, you know, there was a lot of love there where, you know, you would think that I just, I I could have never imagined myself inside of that. That would have been the last place I would have imagined myself finding a home. So just, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what your last uh, conversation or last, the last seeing uh, Phil Taylor was? Oh, I mean, I can, I can see it in my mind. I can't, I'm not really sure what we were talking about. I mean, it was, it was, it was some time before he had passed. It was at that house in Silver Lake that I had, you know, um, you know, he was, he was, he would, we would sit and talk about like, I, I, rem- I think we always kind of like, we connected on girl troubles. I think he was, he was always kind of a little bit upset about what was going on with a girl at home, if I remember correctly. But um yeah, no, it was, he was just a super sweet, again, a way he's just, I never could, I never, I don't even think I really understood why he was, you know, why, why they moved on from Phil. I mean, I do understand that, you know, people, you know, members and bands can change, you know, you wake up one morning and you think you're that brother, you know, you have that guy for life and that never, mm-hmm. nothing's ever going to change. And then, and then they're gone. But I don't ever remember talking about any, you know, he never had anything bad to say about anybody. He's just a super sweet spirit. I don't really remember 
exactly what we were talking about. I remember standing in a room, there was a boa constrictor there in the, in the, uh, <laughs> in the tank. Uh, there was that drum set, you know, I just remember him being so sweet. Yeah. Oh, and then of course, uh, you know, I got to ask you the same question about Lemmy. Yeah. Um, trying to think of the last time we spoke honestly was, uh, yeah, he, he must've been his birthday party. Mm. You know, that was, uh, gosh, we shared it. That was an incredible night. I mean, every rock God you could imagine was in that crowd and he was sitting up there and he had just signed us and, uh, you know, he had us out to play that thing. <laughs> I remember standing on the front of the whiskey stage and like, I'm not a lead guitar player at all. I've always been like, I mean, I told you my sister gave me my, my guitar and I learned how to play chords, but I've never been that lead guitar player guy. Um, but uh, I had to make do with my group that night. I was I was the lead guitar player that night for whatever reason. <laughs> and uh -huh. I remember I remember us playing uh, Folsom Prison Blues, you know, because uh, I think we probably did it because Lemmy was a huge Johnny Cash fan, and you know, the whole night was to celebrate him. So we did that, and I remember it was my. <laughs> my turn to do the guitar solo and here i go ripping into like ripping i here i go stumbling into three <laughs> notes you know what i mean that i know are safe to play and, and right in front of me is lemmy zach wild steve Vai, slash you know and i'm just like playing these three not notes not intimidating to, at all <laughs> not intimidating <laughs> yeah. at all but look but looking up at lem and his throne up there and him just giving me the thumbs up you know mm. um but i think there was there was a certain element of there was already this this sadness everybody kind of knew there was there was something going on you know at that at that point but lemmy you know none of us bought into it or none of us believed it you know at that point he was just so oh he's invincible you know, yeah we thought yeah. he was gonna go and go and go like he was immortal yeah Whew. that was a sad sad day i remember hearing about it. i remember how i heard about it first but then calling Todd, you know, our manager, you know, um, and him just, you know, he just completely lost just all of us losing it. You know, the whole world yeah. mourned. We've been mourning ever since. Yep. I, I did see, uh, I remember they were, they live streamed the memorial service and I actually tuned into that. I don't normally, I can't remember any other time that I watched anything like that actually, but you know, for right. our community, it was like, Oh, this is how people felt like watching Princess Diana's funeral on TV or whatever, you know, yeah. like that was, that was for us that, you know, so I, I was happy that whoever made the decision to make that public, I thought that was really cool. And you know, yeah, to see that, people yeah, talk that about was, him and stuff. yeah, that was, that was Todd. Todd did that. I remember, and some people were trying to give him flack for it, but what a, yeah, that's great. Cause people got to share that. I was there. I, I remember being there. I figured. Um, and just, fuck, man, I just like, I, I, I too, I just revisited those just, I, I don't know, maybe I was, you know, I was missing him a bit or whatever. And, and I remember I was like, I'm, I want to watch that. And I, I watched David, Dave Grohl's speech that night. I watch, you know, just so many people got up and <laughs> again, just like this monster of a persona, this thing that to so many people drives people to like, just feel so powerful. Um, everybody that got up there and spoke about him just said almost, it was like, it's like everybody said the same exact thing, just how sweet he was, how loving he was, how caring he was, how he would stop everything he was doing to make sure that you felt like you were important, you know? So. Mm. Woo. Yeah, man. I, and you know, we spoke about this before, but my, uh, my, my two different experiences getting to meet him uh, and spend a little time around him were, everything you would want it to be like it's and that seems to be a universal uh experience for everyone kind of in that orbit everyone in our community everyone who loves hard rock and metal or just appreciates what lemmy did uh for music um you know anytime you hear anyone talking about meeting him or you know going up to him at the rainbow or whatever it was it's i've, I've never once heard a bad story Right. right 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 they're just not out there that's just yeah you know that's that's 
yeah, like if I, if I could learn anything uh, from him, that's, you know, I've said it before. It's just like the integrity and like, you know, if I can be that kind of person, you know, at sometimes it's like, yeah, I was just talking to Todd, you know, our manager again, he's still our manager uh, mm-hmm. the other day. And believe it or not, we were, we were um, not arguing about it, but you know, Butterside's trying to really trying to take a, a on a life of our own. And yet, um, you know, the call to arms is, is always there's lemmies in the mix, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and we're talking about how we can step away from that. You know, we don't want to be tailgating on that. You know what I mean? It's like Le- yeah. Lemmy would want us to shine above and be ourselves. And like, you know, um, but, um, you know, Todd was talking about how like, you know, Lemmy being who he was often he sacrificed a lot of the fame and a lot of the uh, celebrity that might have gone along with things and choices that he could have made to have made himself more uh, whatever, you know, to, to sell out in some certain kind of way. But, um, you know, I've kind of, uh, you know, it's taking me a good pretty minute to get to where I want to go with my career and I'm still super confident that it's getting to where it needs to be and I will have that dance with uh, the devil in the pale moonlight so to speak um, I, <laughs> yes. I, I will I, I understood that reference I'm that gift uh, right now <laughs> um, and I think I will get there um, due to the fact that like you know a lot of rock stars that have gone to the very tippy top of the iceberg and have sunk back down and come back into reality um, all of them respect the same thing that the other ones do. And that is that Lemmy, you know, he, he didn't necessarily plateau because the dude's fame and fortune, his, his fame and, and his legend uh, grows still every day. He's still becoming bigger. I mean, as far as I can tell. Um, but like they all, they all uh, respect him for his integrity and his, uh, you know, st- sticking to his guns and being who he is. So it's again, the, the something I took from being around them is like uh, why it might've hindered me this long. I feel like in the long run, you know, s- trying to be a real person and trying to be sweet to other people and not stepping on other people to get to where you want to go and just being who you are. And uh, you know, all the things he stood for underneath um, the heavy exterior, you know what I mean? That the image and the persona, which goes hand in hand with him, actually. I mean, he was always exactly who he was. There was no separating mm-hmm. who Lemmy was on stage or, you know, who he was with, with me in the back of the bus. You know what I mean? This sweet guy that's just, anyway, um, you know, Todd was saying that, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, he, he made a lot of sacrifices that he didn't, he didn't think were sacrifices. He thought that those, you know, that's, that's how you should be. And that's why he is who he is to us, you know? So I, I hope that someday, you know, if one person on the planet sees some kind of, you know, that kind of thing in me, which, I, you know, a lot of the people that I love and respect now in my life, you know, that's, those are the things that mean the most to them. And those are the things that are actually getting me somewhere with my career is the fact that like, you know, just being a genuine human being, yes. you know, very important i had that conversation with an old friend of mine just yesterday about how you know uh, eventually you come around to this notion that it's really about relationships and people and who you want to spend your time around as much as we all work hard to uh, achieve our goals and advance our careers or, or whatever it might be you know we only have so much time in this place and (laughs) <laughs> who you are spending that time with matters, you know? So yeah, I would definitely take the trade to be surrounded by and working with great people that maybe doesn't get me as far up the ladder, so to speak, as being around some terrible people might. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a trade, you know, and, and Lemmy's a great example of someone like that, of an, of an icon who, you know, did things his own way, blazed his own path, you know, was never you know, Motorhead never sold like Limp Biscuit records, you know, in terms of sales, but right. you know, who would you rather be when you wake up? Lemmy or Fred Exa- Durst, <laughs> you know, like Exa- exactly. no offense, Fred, but you know, yeah, yeah. coming, coming full circle, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here watching Metallica on my, I got, I got just some, some videos looped coming mm-hmm. full circle on the whole reason that we're all here together today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Metallica, I mean, their fucking hugest hero, you know, was Lemmy. Absolutely. And, and you know what I mean? They took what he had and they had a, you know, whatever it was amazing. You know, they didn't sell out to get where they were either. Metallica definitely didn't. They were, right. they were, they were the real, they were, you know, it's just like the wave came in and it's like, 
it's like Lemmy was the earthquake offshore that created the wave, you know what I mean? And then Metallica was that wave that rode in and just like, you know, people don't, maybe, maybe some people still don't realize that when they're listening to Metallica, they're listening to Lemmy, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going all the way back to, Lars, you know, following Metallica around on tour when he was a teenager to, uh, you know, Lemmy's 50th birthday party when they did the show and dressed as of the Lemmys where they all wore the Lemmy wigs and did a yeah. bunch of Motorhead songs, the Motorheadache, as they called it. Um, yeah, just the love was obviously so mutual and shared. And of course, they did that great song about Lemmy that was on yeah. Hardwired with the video and all of that. Did you... Uh, during your your travels in the motorhead camp did you ever cross paths with the metallica guys i have not i have not no it's funny because again talking uh i'm sure i'm hoping it will happen soon one of my uh one of my dearest friends and a huge butterside supporter one of our biggest uh he's basically my and he's the, he's the number two guy whether you know like it or not he's put up uh you know he's helped us with uh, producing a few things my boy uh rob uh, Marishoff is like he's part of the uh, whatever it is the, the the Metallica militia VIP you know what I mean he he, mm-hmm. he flies out to see them in Amsterdam and like he's got front row and he sees them at the uh, just that San Francisco Symphony thing they did uh, in awesome 2020. yeah he was front yeah, row yeah that. That, that was actually the last live show I saw before the pandemic sweet um, yeah I went just up to my so- buddy and I went up for the first night of that. Yeah, so epic. But he, he and I still get as excited as we did when we were kids when we listened to Metallica or talk about them. And then and then you bring uh, Eric German into the mix, and like we, <laughs> we went to meet, we we went to meet with uh, Eric. You know, right around the time I I realized that you know, hey, I think that I'm you know I'm ready to to swing with the big dog. So let's have a meeting with this Eric German guy, and I'm gonna bring my <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna bring my investor guy. So Eric knows that like you know no matter what kind of trouble we get into. Uh, we can afford to get out of it or whatever, you know, it just, he was, he felt like the right guy to bring, but then, you know, <laughs> an hour at lunch spent, we spent talking about, you know, those two started talking about Metallica and we started talking about Metallica. And then, uh, you know, yeah, I think uh, Rob was literally trying to drag Eric all the way up to San Francisco to see that show with him. And then uh, Eric couldn't make it for one, one or another reason, but Eric's still kicking himself for not going. But uh I'm sure that uh, the next Metallica thing that comes along, I th- I'm pretty sure all three of us will go. And, and I hope, to, I hope I can meet those guys. Cause yeah, huge influence, yeah. just hardcore. Every, every time I pick up a guitar, it's like, you know, it's gotta, the crunch has gotta be like you know, <laughs> the Metallica crunch before you can even think about miking it up. Yeah, man. Amen to that. Yeah. Um, well, that's a perfect spot to land the plane, my friend. Um, that was very well said and very well. Uh, I appreciate you sharing what I know are, are very personal uh, and important memories. Um, and, uh, you know, for someone who we all love from afar or up close or every, every space on the map in between and someone who's so important to Metallica, it's, you know, I love having you on to, to talk about that. And of course people should check out Butterside knowing not only were you part of that inner circle, but that you were, it's one thing to be friends with someone. It's another thing to have that person vouch for you and tell, you know, slash that you should sing for his band and, you know, sign your group to his label and put you together with his manager and all the, I mean, that speaks volumes. And And I know what you mean. There's, it's the case for a lot of artists where, you know, you, it's a blessing and a curse sometimes to be so associated with another artist. Um, but man, <laughs> if there's got, yeah. if there's going to be a little shadow <laughs> over you, that's the one you want, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, nothing short. I mean, it's just not, it's just an honor to have, uh, yeah, for those things to have happened. And, and if people, if, if Metallica or, if, you know, Metallica fans, if Motorhead fans, if, if, if anybody has, a, you know, if they have any respect or love for for Lemmy, then you know if that to know that you're rooting for Butterside, as funny as of a name as it is, he loved the name. <laughs> um, as as different as we were from them with the debut record, he loved that about us. 
talking about being introduced to a lot of new music. I mean, Lemmy was always introducing me to things that I never thought he would have liked. So if wow. you're rooting for Butterside, you're rooting for Lemmy. You know what I mean? He created that le- label. He, uh, he, he, you know, he, he, it's something to live up to. You know what I mean? So if, if you, if you push us and you listen to us, you know, for that very reason, you know, if you help us along just by giving us one listen on Spotify or whatever else, just because out of respect for him, then, uh, you know, we thank you for it. We love you for it. Um, you know, we're, we're heading into great things. we got so much stuff. Butterside has so much material to release and so many, we've done so many things during this lockdown. Uh, we've just got, you know, so much stuff to hand to you. And it, it's just the only nerve wracking thing is that it, it can only come out so fast. So, <laughs> right. you know, if, but if, if people tune in now, you're going to see, uh, you know, incredible growth because uh, right now we're just about, we're, we're just now starting to release the stuff that I think is really going to make a difference in our legacy. And it just gets harder, heavier, more meaningful. We're just getting better at it. Again, like I said, it's been a long time coming for me, but the guys in the group now are all fresh and young and there's just, just this wonderful energy and this hunger to get there. And uh, we're all huge Motorhead Metallica fans and it all comes from there and where we end up, nobody knows, but you know, but we'll take, we'll take, uh, you know, Lemmy's recommendation to get us into your ears any day. <laughs> exactly. Amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's something people should check out, of course, as it, as it stands on its own and I'll make sure all the, all the relevant information is in there. And yeah, if there's been any kind of glass half full for creative types with the pandemic, it's, uh, that extra time where you didn't have anything else to do except create. Yeah. Um, so for sure um well dude patrick thank you so much for taking the time to do oh, this thank you thank really you ryan it was it. awesome super yeah, great super fun and yeah we had we, we hit it off so well doing the bio thing where i was just like uh, kelly was like hey what do you think about him for the metallica podcast i was like <laughs> you kidding like yeah let's do that tomorrow <laughs> fuck yeah hell yeah so, yeah it worked out perfect yeah um, i wish i had some videos of us playing those songs in the garage man oh man gosh just parties where we were playing metallic songs and just kids just hanging out of the windows. You know what I mean? People just running around like lunatics, just where it all started, man. Yeah, man. That was, yeah. First time I ever got in a room with people playing instruments. Um, we did Metallica covers. <laughs> so it was, yeah, such a part of the formative uh, experience for so many of us. 